Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy. We're going to be talking to UFC welterweight Darren Till. He's taking on Donald Cowboy Cerrone in the main event of UFC Poland. You know, we've been talking to Darren Till for a while, but now he's a UFC main event fighter. And if he can go out there and win this fight against Donald Cowboy Cerrone, he could potentially become a superstar. So, you know we had to catch up with Darren. And then we're joined by the legendary coach Gary Brown. This is a guy that's coached over 18 world champions. I'm talking about guys like Rick Rufus, Duke Rufus, Buster Douglas. You know, Buster Douglas, he's the guy that initially went out there and knocked out the great Mike Tyson. Obviously, you guys know who Rick and Duke Rufus are. So I can't wait for you to hear my exclusive interview with Captain Gary Brown. But first up, Darren Till, here we go. Joining me now is the man headlining UFC Poland against Cowboy Cerrone. I'm talking about Darren Till. Darren, welcome back to Half the Battle. Thanks for having me back, brother. I hope you're all great. Uh, doing amazing, man. How are you? I'm great, mate. I'm on top of the world. So, man, I mean, I introduced you as uh, the headliner for UFC Poland. I mean, main event. How good does that sound? Yeah, it sounds good, mate. It really does. <laughs> I mean, you've come a long way from having fight of the nights with Nick Dalby. Now you're headlining a card against a legend of the sport. I mean, how do you feel about yeah. your career progression, man? You've come a long way. Yeah, I've come a long way, and it's only the start. I'm only, you know, uh, I'm not. I haven't really made the dent in anything you know, I want to do in the sport. And you know, the future's bright. I can see, you know, where my end goal is going to be. And you know, I'm fighting Cowboy Cerrone. You know, such a respected fighter in the, in the in the MMA community, and uh, you know, it's just it's one of them. Mate. It's just a, it's just a, it's going to be a great opportunity for me. A hundred percent, and you know, there's a lot to talk about with this matchup. So, a lot of Cowboys opponents like to mention how you know he is notorious for being a little bit weak to the body. You're a southpaw. Is uh, do you feel as if the left kick is going to be a big weapon in this fight, Darren? Yeah, I just I just feel like all round, mate. I feel like all round. If we could talk about specifically uh, just striking, I'm I'm just too 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 strong, too too powerful for him. Just uh, feel like I'm the more intelligent fighter. You know, I don't really think uh, I just uh, it's a big fight, but I know I know a million percent I'm gonna come out on top and, and beat this guy. <clears throat> Now, Cowboy has this thing where he kind of likes to be friends with his opponents. I'm sure you've noticed it by watching a ton of his fights. I mean, you saw he tried to do that against Matt Brown. And Matt Brown wasn't having any of it until the third round of, uh, of their fight. And then you saw what happened there. What's your opinion on Cowboy trying to be friends with his opponents? I, I just don't care, mate. Friends, uh, foes, enemies, I just don't care. I'm going in there to take Cowboy out. That, that, that's, that's my only concern. I don't care whether he wants to be my friend or whatever. After the fight, I always have the utmost respect for every fighter, which I think you should have. But, you know, friends, foes, enemies, whatever, it just doesn't it doesn't concern me. It's not, it's not an issue. How much would a win here change your life, man? Because obviously it's the biggest name you've ever faced. A <laughs> win? Uh, change my life, yeah. You know, financially, get a, a lot of good money for this fight. And, you know, I think, you know, people will be considering me, you know, that the next top big thing in the welterweight division. And, uh, you know, it's not even like ever win or what a win. It's like, I know I'm going to win. I'm just going to wait to see what happens after it. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. And do you like the fact that it's a five round fight? Because now, you know, you get two extra rounds to work if it goes there, Darren. Yeah, I just don't care. I mean, it's five rounds, three rounds, seven rounds. I'm, I'm, I'm always training very, very, very hard. I train more than what needs to be done because I know that things like this can happen. 
uh, five rounders, whatever. And you know, it's just yeah, I'm made up. If it goes the full five rounds, okay. If I knock him out in the first, okay. You know, whatever. But I know I will be winning this fight. So your last fight, you took on Boyan Velichkovic, and you know, going into the fight, dude, I thought it was going to be one of the toughest fights of your career. You know, he's a point fighter, like you said last time we spoke. He's a stealer. He's very good at stealing these rounds. I mean, not only did you beat him pillar to post, but you got into his head. He started getting off his game. He started taunting you. Were you kind of surprised when he was, uh, you know, putting his hands up in the air trying to put on a show, which is not what he's known for? No, I just uh... You know, I always get guys out to their game plans. They come in with a game plan and I take them straight out of it because they feel like they can hit me in certain spots. They feel like they, you know, he's hitting me with leg kicks and, you know, trying to taunt me. But I'm just, I'm I'm learning him to my game. You know, I want him to hit me with the leg kick. That's what I want from him. So, you know, so it's just like, yeah, it was, he's a good fighter, clever, but when you're in there with me, mate, it's different. I bring it into that until world. And when you're in my world, you know, you're not getting out... You're not getting out on the good side. You're getting out on the bad side. You ain't beating me. And that's what happened with Boyan. Are you almost trapping these guys? You know, when they uh, decide to throw the leg kicks, they think they're going to get off on a very good technique against you, but it's almost like they're falling into a trap, right? Yeah, they are. I'm trapping them, guys. I'm, I'm bringing them into a false sense of security that, you know, they think they can hit me and then they can capitalize. But I know exactly what I'm doing. That, that striking, I just know what I'm doing in the striking department. And, you know, where. Uh, I proved that with Boyan and many other guys. And, you know, yeah, they, they, as I've just said to you, they're in Darren Tilwell when they're trying to strike with me. And, you know, they're not coming out on the good side when you're striking with me. You're just not. It doesn't matter what happens. So, Darren, earlier this year when you took on Ayari, you were coming off a long layoff. And, you know, we had to talk about how what's it like getting back inside the UFC's octagon. But now you're taking on your third fight in a very short amount of time. Are you starting to, you know, feel more comfortable in there? Are you starting to feel fresh now that you're fighting so consecutively? That's like fighting, mate. I had that long layoff. I didn't want to have it off, but I had to, you know, where... You know, everyone knows what happens with my shoulder and that. But, you know, the, the UFC, straight after my fight, they asked me if I wanted to fight Donald, and I said, yeah. After this fight, if they want me to fight again, I'll say, yeah. And I'll say, yeah. And I'll say, yeah, mate, I just don't care. I really do not care. I like fighting. That's what I like doing. So, you know, three fights, four fights, six fights this year. Let's, let's try and do it. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's what the UFC likes. They like guys that are willing to fight anyone, anytime, any place, and to take it up another level. You come to fight. You don't come to hump someone's leg. You come to knock people out. And that being said, man, you know, obviously you'll take a win by any means necessary. But is there something specific? Is there a certain statement you're looking to make here in the main event? I'm just gonna go. I'm just gonna go out there, mate, and just try and knock his face clean off. That is literally all I'm gonna try and do. And you know, if he survives the storm, if he, you know, if he, if he goes the five rounds. I don't think he will. I think in the second deal already be gasping for a way out. Uh, you know, I, main events, statements. Yeah, all them things coming to me. But I'm just training hard and I'm going in there to, to really, really hit Donald Cerrone. That's, that's my main goal right now. Now, Darren, I know you're a very mentally strong guy. So I know these outside things really don't affect you. But do you have an opinion on being the underdog for the first time in your UFC career? Just, just, just don't care. I mean, you know, people... People have said, oh, it's the first time you're underdog. You know, you find that I just don't care, honestly, mate. I'll just be totally truthful. I really don't care. Underdog this, that, the other. It just doesn't matter. It, it really doesn't matter, honest to God. Well, it sounds like your focus is hell, man. That's a, I like this Darren Till, man. Yeah, mate, honestly. Uh, you know, opportunities like like this don't come around every, every so often. And, you know, 
I ain't got nothing to lose. You know, a lot of people have a mentality, I've got nothing to lose, and I really haven't got nothing to lose, but I'm not going in there with this mentality of like, I've got nothing to lose, so I'll just have a good fight with Donald and we'll see what happens. Fuck that shit. I'm going in there to take Donald Cerrone clean out. I don't give a fuck if I'm fighting on four weeks' notice after my last fight, you know. For the none of this, way, I've got nothing to lose, you know. I have actually got nothing to lose, but it doesn't mean I'm going to go in there and have a good fight with him. I'm going in there to win and solidify my, you know, my name in the welterweight division. So, Darren, a lot of the fans have been asking me, when are you going to make your USA debut? I think after this fight, the UFC could put me on a pay-per-view. I could be up on that card. Obviously, I'm not a pay-per-view star. I couldn't main events anything or co-main, but definitely right up there on a nice big pay-per-view event so they can, you know, the, the pay-per-views are made, the fighters like me, you come and give it and bring it and, and a confidence and talk brashfully. So, you know, after this fight, I think it's definitely on the cards, mate. Well, Darren, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me right here, right now on Half the Battle. It's always a pleasure, man. The fans oh, can follow you at Darren Till 2. Any message for the fans before we go, man? Uh, I, I just like the fans a lot. Whether you hate me or you love me, I, I, I've got so much time for the fans because they're the guys that make the sport. They're the guys that send the messages of that we're inspiring them, and you know they 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 pay they pay out to their own pocket to see guys like us put it all on the line. So you know, just just thank you. Whether you love me or hate me, just thank you to everyone. Joining me now is the legendary coach Gary Brown. Coach, welcome to Half the Battle. Well, thank you. I appreciate I appreciate it. Oh, the pleasure's all mine. So we got a lot to talk about. And obviously, we got to talk about, you know, your career as a championship level coach. I mean, you've trained such a, you trained guys such as Rick Rufus, Buster Douglas. Tell me about those days taking those guys to world championships. Well, um, I trained uh, a lot of other people. Uh, one of the other fighters that I work with, um, had been in jail before and he was kind of a drug addict and and uh his manager brought Rick Rufus to uh, uh to Georgia from Milwaukee and um he had his fight down here in Atlanta Rick did and uh, I went to the fight uh, to watch him fight because I was getting ready to sign a contract with him to be his trainer and uh the first time I've seen him, I, I wasn't impressed. Uh, so in saying that, uh, he's already a world champion, but in Milwaukee, the trainers there would, Rick would say, well, I'm not, I'm not training today because you still want to train. And they let him go ahead and go home. And they'd say, well, Rick, when you're ready to train, let us know. And blah, blah, blah. And that was where it was down there. So he really wasn't in top shape. So when he came here and the first time we trained, he didn't show up. So I called uh, Pat Domenico and his manager and told him I'm not training, so I don't want to train, so I'm going home. So find another trainer. He told me to stay there. At that time, I was training at at, uh, uh, at uh, the gym off of Beaver Highway. And uh, finally, Rick showed up about an hour later. We trained. He was still wasn't talking too much. And, and the next day we trained, we started talking. He started getting involved. And, that's how I started working with him, you know, was basically through that process. So that's interesting, you know, because normally guys have to gain the respect of Coach Brown, but here it seemed like you had to gain Rick Rufus's respect? No, it's just that Rick, they let Rick do what he wanted to do in Milwaukee. Uh, 
they were a little worried about him, afraid of him, because he demanded this man or that. And if he didn't want to train, they would say, well, all right, Rick, well, I mean, let me call us when you're ready to train, wherever you know. That, that day they came up there, uh, and Pat, the man called his manager with him, we sat down for a few minutes and talked. And I explained to him, look, I'm, I'm here for you. I'm driving all the way from, from Athens up here in Dorval to work with you. And if you don't want to train, that's fine. I mean, I've trained other world champions, and, you know, but if you want to train with me, that's fine. If you don't, then whatever. But uh, at that time, Pat Domenicone asked, asked me if I would come out to uh, his farm. He had a, well, it's actually not a farm. It's a polo field and uh, where he has polo matches. And he had a penthouse on top of the barn. And we would look at Rick's fight and the fight he just fought uh, a couple of days previous to that. And I said, yeah. So the following week, I went out there, and we went up in the penthouse, and he got some beautiful barn, beautiful horses and stuff. And we watched Rick's film, and Rick was sitting there watching. I was watching Rick. He was making all these faces. He leaned back and killed Patsy. Cut off. I've seen enough. And Rick looked at me, and I said, why you cut it off? He goes, I look like crap. <laughs> and I said, well, I mean, now you know what I'm talking about. Because when the, I didn't tell you when the fight was over that day. And I walked up to the ring, and Pat, leaned, and, and Pat was there with me. And Rick leaned over the ropes. He said, what do you think? I said, I'm not totally impressed. He has told me to F myself. He walked off. So I didn't say anything. Pat said, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. We'll be okay. So that day in the in the in the in the penthouse up there, he he looked at me and said, "How come I told me I looked like that?" I said, "Look, if your trainers don't know much, what what are they going to tell you what you look like? They're just tickling that that you're that they're getting paid. And they're working a great Rick Rufus." And I said, "I don't work that way." So we talked for a while, and finally, like I say. Uh, he finally realized what I was about, and I told him, if you don't show up, I'm getting paid anyway. But the fact of it is, you got a fight coming up in Paris, you know, against Cayman, and your problem is, if I don't train you, get you there. The last time I seen your fight, you got, you won, but you got beat up pretty bad. You're, they took you to the hospital, your arm was all swelling up, and everything else, you know, so, uh, you know, you had a few bars and bruises on the face, but with me, it won't work that way. So after that, we started training pretty good. Now, Coach, let me preface that by saying that Rick Rufus had already fought Rob Kamen, and there was a big difference in his performance the first time compared to the rematch. They brought you in for the rematch when you went out there, defeated Rob Kamen in devastating fashion. So for you as a coach, I mean, could you tell? Obviously, you could tell the differences of you know your practices being implemented into the second fight. Yes, I agree, but the, the fact of it is that when you have coaches who, uh, I'm not down at a coach, I'm just saying, when you have coaches where you don't know what they're doing, then it's a situation where uh, they're doing what they think needs to be done, the, the knowledge is not there, and Rick just didn't know the difference between the two. And then when uh, when came and fought for the first time with him, um, like I say, Rick got beat up pretty bad, but he won, and went all 12 rounds. With me, it lasted two. 
and I told, uh, I wrote down on the on the plane flying over there. I wrote down on a piece of paper. I asked the lady, uh, one of the ladies, uh, the servants, to give a piece of paper and a pencil. I wrote down, it won't go beyond the fourth round. And after the fight, the promoter over there took us to his nightclub, and uh, that's where he paid wreck at the nightclub. And we were sitting there talking. The promoter said. Well, Coach, what do you think? It was two rounds. That's why I didn't have beyond four rounds. And I took it out of my pocket and showed it to him, and, and they looked at it, and they were shocked that I said, we won't go beyond four rounds. Wow. You know, it's funny. It's almost like uh, you guys wish that uh, you could have bet that back then, you know, take the under four rounds, and uh, that would have been a nice little prop right there, right? Yeah, I didn't, you know, with me, uh, you know, I uh, – I'm not a gaming person. That time I didn't have a ton of money or anything, you know, and I wasn't even thinking about it. I'm just, my thing is just basically trying to get him. We're going to Paris. I've never been out, well, I've only been out of the United States where I spent uh, a tour in Vietnam, but uh, uh, at that time, and then, uh, you know, going out of Paris, you got to think about jet lag. You got to start thinking about how much time you're spending there, getting used to the culture and the food and everything else. That was pretty much on my mind than anything else. So, Coach, how'd you get the nickname Captain Brown? Because I heard that uh, that Duke Rufus actually gave you that name. Yeah, he did. Uh, I, I, I trained work with Duke as well, but uh, I worked for, uh, I quit doing, uh, working for the Sheriff's Department in Jackson County. And I took a job closer by that uh, I lived in Athens that gave me more time to train people, but also uh, I worked a job with a uh, security agency where I became a private investigator, and I was ahead of about 104 people on a security force, and I was a captain there, and I think that's where they got the name, where he got the name, because I would come to training sometimes with uniform on and my weapon and everything, and, he, and that's where Duke started calling me Captain Brown. Yeah, you know, it's funny because recently one of Duke's fighters, uh, Tyron Woodley, he won the UFC welterweight championship here in Atlanta, and when he was walking by uh, the, ho- the hotel lobby, you know, I was hanging out there with a friend, I mentioned Captain Brown, and Duke Rufus lit up. He knew exactly who you were, Coach. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's a good friend. He's a good friend. He's always a good friend, but he's also an awesome coach. He's a really good coach. Uh, uh, I'm already saying this. Maybe I shouldn't say it, but I mean, I'm telling you, he was a great fighter, but at the same time, he's a much better coach than was a fighter, even though he was a good fighter. Uh, he's like me. He liked coaching a bit more than he did fighting. And uh, he's an awesome coach, really, really good coach. I, I, uh, I respect him as a coach, but also I respect him as a student for being a good coach. And, you know, Coach, it's kind of humble for you to say that you're a better coach than you were a fighter. I mean, not taking away from your coaching because obviously it's world class. But what I'm trying to get at here, Coach, is that you're a jiu-jitsu black belt, a state champion wrestler, and a champion boxer. So, I mean, how were you able to reach almost the highest level of all three of those combat sports? Uh <laughs> My my coaches, uh, my wrestling coach uh, in Ohio, he uh, uh, big man, 
uh, little overweight at the time, but he wrestled years ago. And every day he's seen something in me, and he's seen something in Carl Spangle, which is another young man uh, who was really good there. And him and I worked together all the time. And he took us under his wing and worked with us and talked to us on spatial times and not just told us how to how to wrestle, but how to have the attitude to wrestle. It's the same thing when you have an attitude to do Muay Thai, attitude to do MMA, any other sport, you have to have an attitude. And that's not a, a mean, uh, ugly attitude. It just means you have to have your, your wits about you. You have to have that face that you, you bring to the fight. You have to have that demeanor. And when you go in, you've got to be calm, cool, collective, and you just got to work all your techniques you trained on because once you get upset, get mad, get wild, you're you're out of control because anger blinds you to reality and you just go crazy. You know, so he was one of them who really helped me a lot. Um, uh, my boxing coach, King Brookins, who was Sonny Liston, Ali, uh, George Foreman, and Norton's sparring partner. Uh, he helped me uh, a lot more with my hands. He helped me how to move my feet. And uh, I give him great credit for that. And uh, he was another big man, uh, about 6'2", 280 pounds, but he could move, he could, he could box. And, you know, uh, that's where I got a lot of that. And then jiu-jitsu was uh, Maduri Yama Budokai. It's uh, an organization out of Alabama. Uh, we have uh, uh, an organization here, a part of that here in Winder. And... Uh, one of the families there helped me to get involved in Madurian Budokai because I want to continue my martial arts. And uh, they all took me under, 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 their, took me under their wing. And then Sheehan Wilson, who was a head instructor, who was a Tetsuki black belt uh, from the Japanese. He lived in Japan for years, years and years. And when the war started, he came back over here. And uh, he started Maduri Yama Budokai. And uh, since I had the boxing program and, and the wrestling program behind me, it just made me a better a better fighter uh, when we come to sparring in, in their gyms, uh, where the rest of them only did strictly martial arts. So um, it's a little easier for me uh, after coming out of wrestling. So, Coach, I mean, we've spoken about some of your world champions. I mean, look, you got 18 world champions under your belt and counting. So we could sit here and talk about all of them for the rest of the show. But one specifically that I want to get to is Buster Douglas. I mean, this is a guy that upset the great Mike Tyson. One does not simply knock out Mike Tyson, especially when he was on the streak that he was on. Tell me about your, your experience working with Buster Douglas. Uh. My experience with him was start out with his father, Bill Douglas. Uh, in Columbus, Ohio, uh, I had a small gym, and uh, Bill showed up one day. I had some fighters, uh, Jeff Ripper, uh, who's one of my kickboxing world title holders who lives in Atlanta here now, and he comes down here to Georgia with me. Um, it started there in the gym, and I was working with Bill. Bill was getting ready to have a fight in New York City, in Madison Square Garden. And uh, I was getting ready to have a leg operation. And Bill told me that uh, he needed some place to work because Blackburn Recreation Center was being 
remodel. And so I start training, start working with him there. And then a friend of mine, Steve Jones, my best friend, uh, who boxed, uh, he went to Madison Square Garden with him because during that time, I went to the hospital to have a knee operation. I couldn't go with him, but I trained him during that time to go. And then later on, uh, when Buster started growing up, Bill asked me to work with him. So I worked with him at a young age and worked with him for four or five years. And then I came here to Georgia. And when I came to Georgia, it was about three weeks before the fight for Tyson. Bill called me and asked if I would come back to Ohio and help him with Buster's workout a little bit. And obviously, I'll be ticking on that. So I went back. He paid my tank paying ticket and stuff. I went back. I spent a couple, about uh, a week and a half there working on hand pads, movement, louder movement, inside, outside movement. A lot of body shots, uh, Tyson like to weave and bob and stuff, you know, and come back body shots back over the hook and, and stuff. So I had him throwing a lot of uppercuts, a lot of hooks. I had him throwing straight jabs, low straight jabs, because Tyson can't weave and low. And uh, that's that's why, I, and then I came back here before the fight, uh, because I had already had things set up back here for me to move into a new gym. So. I wasn't there for the fight. I wasn't in his corner. But, uh, again, like I said, I was just tickled enough to work with him. He tickled enough to be a part of his camp for a while. I mean, Coach, it's one thing to go in there and train someone. It's another thing to see them go out there and cause one of the biggest upsets in combat sports history. Were you surprised when it happened? Mm, not really. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not... I'm not here bragging about what I've done is what, is what happened there. It's just that the fact that I I think the Lord has given me a lot of knowledge. Uh, I've got a lot of knowledge off my trainers, but over the years I've got so much knowledge of just watching fights and seeing what can be done differently. And I realized by working on lower, lowering our hooks, uh, throwing short, tight uppercuts, you know, and, and, and just – moving a lot of movement side to side and not standing in front of him was probably the best game plan, and they agreed. So, I mean, I I don't know. I mean, I can I can say I wasn't surprised. I can say I wasn't surprised. I don't know. I, I just know I felt good about the fight. I, I just I just know that. I felt good about the fight. I knew it's either going to go to distance, and I thought Buster, if he worked his program, would end on um, – you know, on uh, on a decision, uh, because even at that time, Tyson wasn't basically going to the distance with a lot of people, you know, and I, I thought if Buster would have took him out to the deep waters, you know, he had a good chance of winning. Yeah, and uh, we, we saw what happened there. So, Coach, you told me about this recently, and, I mean, it's such a great story. So, back in the day when you used to fight, you know, it was a it was a different era of the sport. You know, it's funny because nowadays with a lot of street fights, you get people to form a circle, and within that circle, that's where uh, you know the two competitors scrap it out. But for you, back in your day, you said they used to line up the cars and put the cars in a circle so you could see the lights. Is that what happened, Coach? <laughs> yeah, that's a long time ago, man. Ever was uh, Steve Jones and. Um, we call him Doc Holiday. 
Your name is Thurman Holiday. We call him Doc Holiday. And he's fast and quick, and so was Steve. And, and we hung together. We trained together. We hung together, and we just had a great time. And um, I spent a lot of my time in Point Dexter Village, which is basically in, uh, it's an all-black neighborhood in, in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, Candace, you know, Candace at the gym, one of my girls. She, she lives in Ohio. She knows about the place. But uh, we... We used to go and box at the tournaments, and we boxed at the Golden Gloves and all the other tournaments. And, and you got to realize, Columbus, Ohio's got, in Columbus, they have like about 41 recreation centers. Out of those 41, there's about 29 that has boxing clubs. And we boxed almost every week because every week, a different boxing club would have a, would have a tournament. So we were boxing almost every week where Orlando doesn't have that. We we had in Columbus, we boxed a lot of fights. And, uh, Anyway, when the uh, old David Davies uh, sausage factory uh, closed up, uh, it was huge. And Mr. Ferbert, who used to work security there and, and stuff like this, an elderly black gentleman, uh, he cleaned it up because the people said they weren't going to open it up anymore. And uh, they don't know what's going to do with the property, but it'd be about four or five years before they find out what they're doing with the property. So he had the keys to the place. and. And he cleaned up the inside, painted the windows inside and outside, blacked them all out. And his big giant roll doors used to bring tractor trailers through. So that time he put out on the on the street the word that he's gonna have to start some fights in June. And it's gonna be no gloves, you know, you take a mouthpiece onto a cup and no gloves or anything. And Steve told me about it. So him throwing to myself went down there the second time they had it. And I told Mr. Thurman I wanted to fight, and Steve and Doc Holliday did too. So they would match us up to our own size. And you go in, you have a pair of jeans and a t-shirt on, and they pull the cars in in a big circle and turn the lights on. And, you know, you would step out in the middle, and you patch your pockets front and back and raise your hands. You know, and after that, it was... You know, either you quit or you got knocked out, one or two. And that's what happened. And back in those days, we was getting paid. We started out getting paid $300 a fight. And you imagine it's about five, six fights that night at $300 a fight. And then, you know, later on, about five, six months later, we started getting, a lot of us started getting paid $500 a fight. Now, there's guys now that in MMA right now don't get paid hardly much that. You know, like in here in, in town, it's like, you know, five and five or something like that. And that was, that was back in the late 60s and 70s. Wow. So, I mean, you basically told me it's, it's up to someone to quit or to get knocked out, but no time limits. And uh, often, how did those fights end? Most of them, man, I mean, there's been a lot of people who just got hit, got cut, or got busted in their mouth, something just quit. A lot of fights were quick fights because some guys thought they were going to go in and be, you know, really, really good at this stuff, and, and they weren't, and they just quit automatically, just shut down and quit. And the more the more hardcore guys hung in tough, and a lot of it, you know, either get uh, started getting choked out. And one of the things that Mr. Perfect, if somebody was getting choked out or just getting beaten half to death, he'd stop it because he, he was basically the the head referee there, he'd make sure that nobody got really hurt really bad. You couldn't slam nobody's head into the cars. 
You couldn't slam her to the floor. Um, you couldn't kick to the face. Uh, but you can kick to the body or whether on the ground. You couldn't kick to the face. So uh, there was a few rules involved. Um, at that time, a lot of us wrestled in high school and stuff. We'd wrestle and we'd punch on the ground. But but uh, we, at that point, didn't have uh, a lot of arm bars and triangle chokes and things like this. Uh, we were just basically wrestlers back in those days and street fighters. Well, except for us at box. So, Coach, I mentioned this earlier, and I have to emphasize it. Jiu-Jitsu black belt, state champion wrestler, and champion boxer. How did you develop your style? Because there's so much emphasis on hand fighting, parrying, carrot topping, the touch and go. You really have your system down. How did you develop it? I was afraid you wouldn't ask me that question. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know... Bobby, I, I told Bobby I was doing this interview, but I, she said, you know, are you going to answer certain questions? And I said, I don't know, because the fact of it is not taking anything away from from the coaches I had in the past. Um, I told this in church. Uh, I didn't talk about my fighting. I, I told him in church when he found that I trained a lot of world champions, but I got saved and got baptized. And I just, in an interview like we're doing now, but it was on video and you played it in church, you know, before I did my, uh, you know, before I was baptized, I, um, I just explained to him, I mean, the skill level I have right now, to me, all I can figure it comes from God because it, there are things that I do right now, I shock myself. And, you know, cause I, I don't know, I look at fights. And I look at people doing things, and I look, I can, I can look at things how I can do it a little differently. And then I will go to the gym and have students work on a few things without that, without them knowing about it. And then if I see it working, then I implement it into my program. Uh, I watch fights all the time on weekends. Uh, my wife thinks I'm a commentator because I go back and I watch video after video after video. I watch uh, all kinds of droid fights, MMA fights, tie fights. And I look at things and I study. I don't look at it like a fight. I enjoy it, but I look at it over and over again, certain fights to see what people are doing. And then I uh, I had a friend of mine in Athens who him and I worked together, and I would try a lot of things on him. And then I would kind of critique it a little bit to the point of, you know, you know, coach, it's, it's uncomfortable, but it's not that painful. So I would move my hand a little bit, my arm a little bit, and all say, ah, right there. So I would critique it and make it work for myself. And the carrot top is just one of those things that I did in Athens, Ohio, um, working with uh, uh, Jeff Ripper and uh, in a, in a, a gym, uh, a uh, Bondo gym. And uh, I was getting kicked in the shins and I wasn't used to it because I, at that time I was just doing taekwondo and boxing and everything else and i just dropped my knee down one time and they kicked my shin put a big knot i kicked my knee put a big knot on the shin i i got thinking well that that didn't hurt (laughs) but it took me a couple of days to realize what i had done and after i started doing it the instructor told me not to do it because i was hurting everybody's shins so i and jeff river started doing it so i just picked it up i called it carrot top 
So, Coach, what's your opinion on the evolution of the sport? Because, I mean, you've been around since the very beginning of the sport, and you've seen it all the way up until now. What's your opinion on the evolution? Well, I think I think basically we've gone as far as we can go as far as as far as technique wise, unless another another young man comes up and and it, it runs around the around the around the cage on the wall with three or four steps instead of jumping off of it. But uh, I think we've come to a point that it's basically just who has the better technique, who can control their emotions, and who can stay in form without getting a little crazy and getting a little wild or just getting in there and not doing what you're doing in the gym. And that's my problem. My problem is technique overrules power. And a lot of people are getting to understand that now. And if you're working your technique and really get your technique down and learn what your distance is between you and your opponent, between your leg range and your hand range, and knowing how to pair. Because one of the most stupidest things I see right now in MMA is that, and this is not against any certain instructor, is that why do you get your face beat up all the time? <laughs> I'm talking about on the ground, on ground and pound. I'm talking about standing up. I don't see many people blocking punches. I don't see many people slipping punches. I see people trading punches. And look, look at Forrest Griffin. You know, he he told me when I was trying to do some hand pass with him one time to help him to pair some shots. He told me that, no, no, coach, I, I appreciate you helping me, but... I mean, that's my, that's my, that's, that's what I do. That's why people love me. I'm, I'm bloody all the time on this and that. I give them what they want. I said, Forrest, you're not going to be around very long if you, you know, if you keep doing this and you see what happened. But you can't, you can't keep taking punishment to the head and turn punch to the face without blocking punches. And on top of that, the most important thing, you're giving up points. So why do a lot of your techniques that you've been teaching for decades, why do they still work today? <laughs> because I try to keep my I try to keep my fighters safe because I try to give my fighters the best technique I could give them because tie is tie. Tie is from Bangkok, it's in Holland, and yet when you watch the Drory and you watch them throwing one real hard chin kick after another, you know, and, and the punches are real hard and power and they're reaching uh, back to Oklahoma to throw a right hand or whatever. I mean, you got to have some really decent technique and you got to be able to, to pair these shots up, block these shots and come back with the counter much easier than what I see him doing it now. And that's why, and you know, you work out in the gym with us. That's why counter to counter works. That's why if you stay within range, Counter to counter works, you know, between Jamar and JB and you and the rest of the fighters, it's a situation of trying to tell people, know your reins, look at the look at their body weight, which way they're leaning, and you know if they're leaning to the left, get rid of the outside leg kick, then they can't use anything from the from the left hand side because they're leaning on that left leg, all the power's in that left leg. So with the leg being off the ground. Why do I want to back away from the kick and then try to counter after he hits the floor and gets back on target? I don't. 
So you know how it is when we care top, they throw a round kick, we step in for our right hand. You know, they throw a round kick, we block it with the T block and take a stir step and take the inside leg. It's just more simpler than that. You don't get hurt. So, Coach, obviously we've talked about some of your past world champions, Rick Rufus, Buster Douglas, among others, but what about the the future generation? I mean, you got a guy in Jamar Whitehead, he's 10 and 1 under your under your banner. Obviously, JB Hopkins, a uh, massive potential with him. Tell me about your some of your future world champions. Well, right now, both of those two guys have a chance to get there. Uh JB takes just a little bit longer only for the standpoint that uh when I first met him and I the first match we had together was a boxer match and he was off the chain. I mean it looked like it looked like he had epilepsy. I mean he was just just on everything and anything. And uh, I love the boy to death and do anything for him. But he just looked like he was just on everything and anything. And uh after that I my my first and foremost thing was to calm him down because you can't work techniques that you calm down. So it took me a while to calm him down. When I did, he started coming online. He started taking care of business. Uh, he doesn't have any ground game experience right now. That's why he's lost his first two MMA fights. But And also, he's got a messed up shoulder. It's been messed up for over over a month. So he fought, he fought his uh, uh, first two fights with a messed up shoulder. Um, I'm not making excuses for him. But... Uh, Right now, I'm I'm taking him back to Ty, and uh, and then uh, let him continue to work on his ground game and grappling and everything with Gee and and some of the other guys and stuff, and and, uh, and then we'll get him back into the MMA once he starts getting that ground game back a little better. As far as Jamar is concerned, he's wrestled four years in high school. He's done Taekwondo. Uh, uh, I think it was a black belt Taekwondo. I'm not for sure. Uh, he's got on people kicks. Uh, when he first came to me, he was doing the same stance, the same taekwondo stance, the same spinning jet question kicks, young spinning crest kicks, back kicks, and everything else. I was playing to him, it's not going to work in Thai. I'm not doing as much as he's doing. Got him settled down, got him working, and got his hands and feet married together because all of them don't come with their feet married together, hands married together. And got him doing that, got him working, and from then on, he just shot up and just took off. And a little cocky sometimes, and sometimes <laughs> a little too cocky for me sometimes, but he's, he's beginning to calm down a little bit. I'm talking to him, but uh, I love him to death, too. Uh, he's a good kid. And uh, he just fought this 28-year-old guy last week or a week ago, uh, a week or so ago. And uh, the guy was bigger, stronger, and... One thing I tell my fighters when you do MMA, you never stop moving. You know, where you pinned against the cage, where you're on the ground, somebody takes you down, whatever, you know. In my style of jiu-jitsu, which is shin-shin jiu-jitsu, it's Japanese jiu-jitsu, uh, on takedowns. If somebody's trying to take me down, I'm just not falling backwards and down. I'm start moving after you hit the floor. In midair, I'm starting to turn my body hard, quick. I move a leg. Uh, I switch my shoulders real fast, real turn so I can get a reversal on him before we hit the floor. That's common with us, but it's not common with with the jiu-jitsu I'm seeing now. Everybody's just going straight back or going down, 
and they're not trying to reverse it while they're in midair. That's the best time to do it. So Jamar's doing this. He's making it happen. Uh, he doesn't stop moving. You know, the last fight, the guy had him on the ground, hand by head, and Jamar kept working, kept turning, kept twisting, and he finally got out of it. If he just sit there and that guy got him, didn't wait, you got to better, better, uh, like, try to get him in the guard or something, that wouldn't be a good situation. So he finally got out and got up and was able to take the guys back. But that's my kind of style. That's I want people moving constantly, loud movement side to side, in and out, you know, steady kicks and steady punching, change your combinations up. Don't get in the same look all the time. Yeah, and speaking of the two guys you mentioned, Jamar and J.B. Hopkins, they got very bright futures ahead of them. Now, Coach Brown, last thing I got to ask you before I let you go. Are Steven Seagal and Chuck Norris legit? Yeah, both of them are, especially Steven Seagal. He is. Uh, he spent years in Japan, uh, a lot of years in Japan. Um uh, the first movie you put out, you've you seen in the very beginning of the movie when he was in Japan, and and the senseis were sitting in the background, and he was uh, instructing a class, and when everybody started coming at him, um, that was him teaching class in front of them as, as one of his belt tests. But um, he is totally legit. He's, he's got Aikido down to a point that, I mean, he's really, really good. hate to see him gain as much weight as he has lately, but... He is that good. Uh, Chuck Norris, uh, he's awesome, too. He's good at what he does. He hasn't had hardly any fights, but I'm not saying he can't fight, but everything is choreographed through TV and stuff. But uh, if you want to ask me if somebody is a little better than that, it would be Bill Wallace. Well, Coach, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me right here, right now on half the battle. It's been an absolute pleasure. The honor is mine. Coach, uh, any message for the fans uh, before we get out of here? Yeah, watch Jamar next week. <laughs> keep it out. Keep an eye on Jamar, and you'll see what I'm talking about. The other thing I just wish everybody who's out there who's training, uh, get yourself a good trainer if you're not happy with the one you got. Get yourself a good trainer if you have to go to another gym. Get yourself somebody who's putting their heart and soul into you, uh, making sure you're eating right, you're, you're not out gallivanting around late, late at night and everything else and stay in good shape. And if you're not fighting, I would suggest the same, the same for you as well. Uh, if you're doing it just for fun, uh, you know, just stay in great shape, keep a good attitude, train hard, and help other people. And, Coach, if anyone wants to train with you, uh, what should they do? Just come to Team Octopus on Roswell Road and uh, just ask for Coach Brown. I'm there. If you're looking to be a world champion, if you're going to be a state champion, uh, come there. If you're looking to to just have a good time and train, but yet be able to defend yourself in the street in case something happens, I'm there. If you just want to come have fun and laugh with me, I'm there. Well, Coach Brown, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much again for the time, and uh, best of luck in the next step, and I'll see you very soon. Thank you very much, and God bless. There you have it, folks. Darren Till and Coach Brown. Thank you so much for listening to this very special edition of Half the Battle. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at Best Fight Picks. 
Go to bestfivepicks.com for the plays. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. Shaq and I will be back later this week to break down UFC 216, Tony Ferguson versus Kevin Lee. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.